Well, I guess we'll just get into it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your great love. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are that friend that sticks closer to, than a brother. You're closer than blood to us. We are spirit of spirit. Hallelujah. We thank you that uh, the mind of Christ has been, is in our spirit. And you're going to teach us all things this morning. You're going to lead us and guide us into truth. And it's that truth that sets us free. So we don't come here hoping something happens. We come here expecting something to happen to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're in part five of a revelation of love. And as, as I've talked earlier, is that when it comes to love, you really do need, you need a revelation. Because what the world has shown us, what love looks like and what love is, is so radically different. It's actually a total perversion of what true love is. And the scriptures, the foundation scriptures that we've been teaching on every single week is very familiar, John three sixteen. But this is the voice translation to get you to look at it a little bit differently. We don't only, we don't only preach from Kim, Kim, King Jimmy here. We, we use all different types of translations. So verse 16, For God expressed his love for the world in this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not face everlasting destruction but will have everlasting life. And I love that word expressed. He expressed love because love really is a verb. Love is a person and love does. Love is God. Love is God and love does. And how does love express his love for the world? By giving his only son. The son of his love. Love gave love. The expression of love is Jesus Christ. Why? So that we would not have to live in destruction. Have everlasting destruction. And it's just not talking. You know we teach here that, that the kingdom of God is now. It's not someday in the sweet by and by. It's now. There's people living in hell now. You know that? Let's get people out of hell now. And into the kingdom of God now. Everlasting life is now. Knowing the love of God is now. Letting that verb of love operate in your life is now. But sometimes we refuse love, don't we? We refuse love. Do you, you ever have any kids that kind of just, you try to love them and they, re, they refuse to receive your love? There's so much more you want to do for them, but because they won't receive it, they won't be close, they won't, commune with you. It's hard to express your love to them. And we can be that same way with God. God wants to express his love in your life, but for some reason we are hardened to him. And we know why we're hardened to him is because we know the things we've done. It's hard for us to receive love when we know what we're like. There's so many people that don't come to church, don't want to have any relationship with God because how can God love them when they are the way that they are? And we've seen in the past messages that God loved us from the foundation of the world. Your actions, your actions don't change the love of the Father for you. He loves you no matter what, and there isn't a thing you can do about it. And so many people think that it's their actions. They think it's what they've done that 
earns the right for them to be loved by the Father, and that's absolutely wrong. John 17, 3. So we just talked about this everlasting life. We talked about that the reason why Jesus came, why God expressed his love in such a dramatic way, was that we would have eternal life. And in John 17, 3, Jesus tells us what eternal life is. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That you may know God, know him, not just about him, but actually know him, be intimate with him. And, and I, I just got to pull this out because it says in, in Genesis, I say a lot of things over and over again, but it's because we need to have a revelation of this. In, in Genesis, it says, Adam knew his wife and they begot a son. There's an intimacy that God wants you to have with him, to know him, to know him. And I, I can't know God for you. You have to know God for yourself. To know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he had sent. And what was Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was the expression of God. So if you want to know what God looks like, you have to look to Jesus. You do not look to Moses. You don't look at the Ten Commandments. You do not look at those. You look to Jesus. Remember on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses showed up, and, and Jesus, from the inside out, the glory of God was revealed, and they said, let's build three tabernacles. Let's build one for the prophets, Elijah, and let's build one for Moses, the law, and let's build one for Jesus. And all of a sudden, boom, they were gone. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son, Hear ye him. If it's not Jesus, it's not God. Understand that. That is the expression of his love. That's the expression of his love. It's Jesus. And that is what eternal life is all about. It's about falling into God who is love for eternity. It talks about how deep, how wide how high is the love of God? We're going to spend eternity experiencing new characteristics and new attributes of the love of God. He's going to spend eternity just loving on you. And the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, taught it to Apostle Paul in Ephesians this way. He says in verse, or chapter 3, verse 17, it says, this is the Amplified. It says, may Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. So by you trusting, by you relying on Christ and his sacrifice, his expression of love for you, he's literally going to put his spirit in you and make a permanent abode, a home in you. May you be rooted deep in love and found securely, securely on love that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. See, this love is not just, yes, Jesus loves me. It's not a Sunday school idea of love. It is experiencing the love of God. To experience it. To experience his love. And you can experience his love throughout the week. 
What is the breadth? What is the length? What is the height? What is the depth of it? Explore the love of God. In verse 19, that you may may really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. So there's a a knowledge of God's love, but but there is a, a knowledge of, like, I guess I've heard it this way. Someone goes to college, and they have book knowledge. But when they get in a job and they apply what they've learned on the job, then they have working knowledge. God wants you to have working knowledge of his love. Working knowledge, experiential knowledge. Hmm. Now to him, well, where am I at? Experience that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God may have the rich, richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. To allow God to flood your life, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, the rich measure of his divine presence. Does this sound like a guy that's mad at you? Does this sound like a guy that doesn't want anything to do with you? Does this sound like a guy that's, if he's just looking for a reason to send you to hell? This is amazing love. Now to him who, by, in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, so God is actually working in us, his power, his spirit is working in you, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, I love these words, super abundantly, we need to use words like that more often, super abundantly. See, there isn't very many things in life that you can say, man, we're just super abundantly in, in that. But in God, super abundantly, can't even describe what he's able to do, far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. Is that your idea of God? And we talked about this before, that so often we, do, we say we, we don't pray about things because we don't really think God cares. We don't even just talk to him about the little things, the, thing, the little things that are bugging you. But he says he wants to do Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. Again, do we have a revelation of a God that's like that? A God that wants to do whatever you can dream, whatever you can hope for. He says he'll top that. That's just amazing. Am I there yet? (laughs) No. (laughs) But I want to be, I want to have a revelation of his love where where I, I just expect, I expect everything in life just to be super abundantly above all I could ask or think. And when the cares of this world, when the, when the fiery darts come, when the trials, tribulations, and just the fallen nature of humanity attacks us, we can still expect in that moment that he's there to do super abundantly above all we could ask or think. To him... Be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen, so be it. So right there, to all generations. 
This wasn't just for the apostles. This just wasn't for the early church. This is for this generation right here, right now. He wants to glorify himself. He wants to magnify himself through you experiencing and him expressing his love to you in the church. And the church is not this building. We know that if you go here. You don't live in a house of brick and mortar. You're the church. He wants to express his love in you. That is amazing. And I better hurry up. We got a chili cook-off to get to. Love, love define. <laughs> love define. See, what are the characteristics of love? And we talk, I got into this a little bit last week. Um, but things have characteristics. See, love is a funny thing. We think it's like a virus. You know, I fell into love. Oh, now I'm better. I fell out of love. You know, if we, we, th- we think that love is, a, is, a, is fleeting. We think love is passion. We think love is, is the way something makes us feel. And that has nothing at all to do with love. We love our dog. We love hot dogs. And we love our wife. Love. What is the definition of love? I mean, we already, we already uh, agreed last week that like, everything has characteristics. We agreed last week that my characteristics is tall, dark, and handsome. And I'm a lean, mean preacher machine. That was, that's my characteristics. But things have characteristics. Characteristics like a ball. We used this example last week. A ball is a sphere and it's round. If it's going to be a ball, it has to be round. Or it can't be a ball. We got golf balls. We have tennis balls. We have racquetballs. Bowling balls. Bowling balls round and it's got three round holes in it, right? Football is a round ball that was just stepped on. It's still round. Right? So if it's going to be a ball, it has to be round. That's the characteristics of a ball. If it's not round, it's not a ball. Right? So these characteristics make up what the thing is. When you see it, you say, well, I know what that is. That's a ball. Right? You look at me, I know what that is. It's a lean, mean preaching machine. But love has characteristics. See, what if God showed up right now? What if God showed up in the flesh? Would we even recognize him? I hope through our revelation of Jesus Christ and, and the revelation of his grace and his mercy and his love that, that we've been proclaiming here for the last three years, I hope, I hope that we would at least like Jesus when he showed up. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus did show up. God showed up in the flesh. And, and the characteristics of Jesus when he showed up, the characteristics of God in the flesh didn't line up with what religious people thought God looked like. We didn't know God when he showed up. And I wonder if we'd know him today. He healed on the Sabbath. He did good. He blessed. He did dinner with sinners and Republican, uh, publicans. <laughs> Tax collectors. Would we recognize Jesus if he showed up in our church? Would we think that he was, had the characteristics of God? 
Well, when Jesus showed up, the church killed him. The Romans killed him. The Jew and the Greek killed him. They killed God. Because he didn't fit the mold that he, they, they had him in. He was outside of their box. We need to know the characteristics of God. We need to know the characteristics of love. See, because as I said last week, and we're going to go through these again, but when we, most of the time when we go through the Bible, we go through the Bible looking at, okay, what must I do? What is this telling me I have to do to be a good little Christian? And that's the, <laughs> you're missing the whole point. The Bible is not about what you must do. The Bible is a revelation of what God has done. See, we read the Bible, the, the Word of God, to find out what God is like. This is how we can see what His characteristics are like. And this is a very well-known scripture that if you went to church any time at all, maybe had marriage counseling, this is, this is what you, you would hear. Husbands, love your wives. And when I, we were worshiping today, I just want to say something. You fathers, you husbands, when's the last time you told your, your wife you loved them? You fathers, when's the last time you told your children that you loved them? I mean told them. You know, I've heard one person said, well, I told her that I loved her when we got married, and if she don't believe it anymore, that's her fault. No. They need to hear that affirmation that you love them. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And some of you are sitting here thinking, well, my dad never told me he loved me, and I turned out all right. Well, your dad might have never told you that he loved you. But you wish he did. Express your love. Don't be afraid to express your love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, we read this and we say, okay, I understand what I got to do. I, I need to love my wife. That's what I have to do. But, but this is telling something a lot bigger than just us needing to love our wives. It's telling our relationship that we have with Christ. He's saying, be like me. Love your wife the way that I love you. We, don't, we never focus on this part. We never focus on that. What he's saying is, this is my characteristic. My characteristic is that I give myself for my church, and you're the church. I sanctify my church. I cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. Do you realize that? That's that work that's happening in you. The love of God Christ in you is cleansing you and washing you. Whose job is it to cleanse you? Whose job is it to wash you? Is it yours? 
Is it? Let's answer. No. Jesus' job is to wash you and cleanse you. That he might present her, who? The church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. You think Jesus is failing at his job? You are holy. You are without spot. You are without blemish. He's cleansing you right now. Right now. And you see, the problem is, is you see yourself in the mirror. You see yourself in your actions. God sees you in your spirit. He sees you in Christ. He sees you as unified with Christ, flesh of his flesh and bones of his bone. And when we see ourselves in Christ, when we see ourselves the way that God sees us, we'll walk in the truth. 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, think about this, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. God never hated you. God never, ever hated you. The reason he came, the reason he died, the reason why he expressed his love upon the cross is because he loved you. He nourishes you. He longs to nourish you. He longs to cherish you. When's the last time you let God love you? See, the problem, when do we need the most love? When do we, we need to be cherished and, and loved is when we're the most vulnerable, when, we, when we've sinned and we've messed up. And that's when, when we need it the most, that's when we reject him. We reject his love. No, God, stay away from me for a little bit. You don't know what I did. Yeah, right. Like he doesn't know what you did. You don't know what I did. Let me do some good works. Let me read my Bible. Let me go to church a couple weeks. Or maybe it might take a couple weeks before I can go to church because I don't know if I'm worthy to go to church. Let me do these things and then, then I'll let you love me. No. Just like a, just like a parent with their kids, right right when they're hurting, right when they know that they've screwed up, right when they know that they deserved to be chastised. There's just something about loving them in that moment. To love them in that moment. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This whole scripture that we've preached over and over again, trying to get husbands to love their wives, and it doesn't work, trying to get, tell you to do something, It will not work. What do you mean, Chad? Why won't it work? Until you have embraced, until you know God's love for you men, you do not have it in you to love your wife. You don't have it in you. When someone's not very loving, you should feel sorry for them because the reason is because they don't know how much God loves them. They don't know how precious they are 
in the sight of the Father. See, when you know, when you have an understanding of what Christ is like and the way he treats his bride called the church and how he treats us individually, the members of his body, you can't help but to love others when you're filled with the fullness of his love. See, we focus on the wrong things. We focus on what we have to do and rather, rather than focusing on what God has done and how he has expressed and shouted at the top of his lungs his love for the world. And we do the same thing when it comes to, when it comes to the characteristics of love. 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this chapter. It's called the love chapter, right? And we read it at the weddings because this is how people are supposed to act when they love each other. But again, we miss the whole point. God isn't telling us this is how you need to love. He's saying this is love, and I am love. This is the characteristics of who I am. Just like a ball is round, and that's the characteristics of a ball. So I am love, and this is the characteristics of love, of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a wonderful declaration of the love and the personality of God and what we can expect from him as we grow in our relationship with him, as we grow in this revelation of his love. This is what we can expect. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Do I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love? I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Let's look at this in the Amplified, this right here. If I can speak in the tongues of men and even angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as it is inspired by God's love for us, I am only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. How many of you know someone like that? How many of you know somebody that knows everything, acts super spiritual, but for some reason when they're around you and they talk, it just sounds like Charlie Brown's mom? You, you, you just wah, 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 and it, it, it doesn't penetrate your heart. There, there's nothing there because it's not in the love of the Father. It's not in the love of the Father. You can do good works. You can do the gifts of the Spirit and not be in love. Do you realize that? God doesn't change because you're not walking in love. And what does walking in love mean? Walking in the revelation of God's love for you. If you're not walking in the revelation of God's love for you, and because you're not walking in the revelation of God's love for you, you're not loving other people, you can still act very spiritual. You can do good works. You can do miracles. But it profits nothing. See, we don't believe this. See, this is what we, we want. We want the miracles. We want the flash. We want the big bang. We want the show. We want to prove that God, we're mighty and powerful in God. But it's not lasting. It's fleeting. We don't believe that it profits nothing when, it, when it's not 
people aren't experiencing the love of God. See, that's the thing that you have to understand, is that everything we do, and everything we do, needs to take people into the experience of God's love for them. Anything we do as a, as a body of believers here at Karis New Testament Church that doesn't take a person and cause them to experience the love of God in their life is a miserable failure. I don't care if 5,000 people show up. If they walk away not experiencing the love of God, it is an absolute failure. goes on to say, and if I have prophet, prophetic powers... The gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose and understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge. And if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, God's love in me, I am nothing and a useless nobody. See how this all goes together? It all goes together with what Paul wrote in Ephesians, that you may know the love of Christ. It goes with what John wrote about this is eternal love, that life that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, and that God so loved the world that he expressed, he gave his only begotten son, his, the son of his love. It all fits together. But we want the show, we want the bang. Even this, even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Even in our good deeds, in our doing good, giving to the poor, our sacrifice, if, pe- if people look at you or look at the, we're the church, but if they look at Karis New Testament Church as a source, or they're doing it in the name of Karis New Testament Church. See, there's lots of good works out there. There's lots of organizations you can get into to do good works. Right? You got the lions, the eagles, the moose, the whole animal kingdom. You got the whole animal kingdom you can get involved in. But, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if people... Don't walk away understanding God's amazing love for their, their life. It's worthless. What happens if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? This is the mission of Karis to Testament Church, that the world might know Jesus Christ, the expression of the love of God. You can be big stuff in the eyes of the world. But if you do not know and experience the love of God in your life, you're of all men most miserable. And you know those people. You know those people that are do-do-doers. When every time the church is open, they're there. Right? I don't care if it's a knitting group or if, it, or if it's a prayer thing or a Bible study. They're there. They're, they're, and, and they're serving. They serve like crazy. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But if they're doing it trying to obtain God's love, they're miserable. They're miserable. There's a huge difference for a person that serves God because they have experienced his love and a person that serves God because they're trying to get his love. God wants our deeds to be motivated by his love 
and not attempt to receive his love. Verse 4. Charity. And I, we're, we're, we're reading King Jimmy here because I like that word charity. I named my daughter Charity. Because charity is agape, God's kind of love. It's, it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that gives away without expecting anything back. That's why they call things charity. You know, I, I have charitable giving. No, you don't have charitable giving. If you give to Karis New Testament Church, you gave to a charity because we're here expecting nothing in return. Your giving is not charity because you're getting something for your giving. I'm sorry if that offends you, but I value the Word of God. I value the ministry of Karis New Testament Church. You're getting something. We show up whether there's money given or not. That's charity. And thank God we got people here that, that God is using to keep this ministry going. But even if, he, even if you didn't, he'd find some way to get it to us. But charity is the, is the idea of, of doing something without expecting anything in return. Anything in return. And this is God. Think about this. This is God. Everything that he does, every good gift and every precious gift comes down from God, right? From the Father of lights, where there's no shadow of turning. That means that wherever you look, those good gifts and his light is there. This is God. Everything that he's done, he doesn't expect anything back in return. He doesn't expect anything back in return. And it says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, thinketh not her own. It is not easy provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hope all things, endure all things. Charity never faileth. But where there's prophecies, they shall fail. Where there are tongues, they shall cease. Whether there's knowledge, it shall vanish away. Here the Holy Spirit gives us in words the most detailed description of God. God is love. Do you know the God of these characteristics? Is this how you see God? See, we've always read this chapter on seeing how we're supposed to be. But God's saying that. This is how I am. This is how I want you to see me. This is how God describes himself. See, love equals God. Do you realize that? God is love. God is love. That word is is a mathematical equation. God is equal to love. If it's God, it has to be love. If it's love, it has to be God. Nothing else equals up. Do you understand that? So when we read in the Bible about love... We can interchange that with God. So when you read in 1 Corinthians about this love, this agape love, this charity, we're actually reading this is what God looks like. This is how God is. Hmm. 
Charity suffers long. In this chapter, we have 16, 16 characteristics of God. We're going to go through them all. Maybe not today, but we're going to get through them. Love, God, suffers long. Love is patient. Do you know a God that's patient? Do you know a God that suffers long? See, the reason why it's so hard to understand a a God that is long-suffering and patient is because hmm, we don't know very many people that are that way. I'm not that way. Fathers, mothers are more patient, it seems, than, than fathers, but you ever work with your dad on a project? You ever have your dad try to teach you to do something from riding a bike to playing catch? He wasn't very patient, was he? And we have a hard time seeing God as a God of patience because we have experienced love in a different way. But God is patient. God is patient with us. Do you know how many people that I, I, I've heard that are struggling with some type of sin and they're just waiting, they're waiting for God to say, okay, enough is enough. I'm done with you. They're waiting for something bad to happen to them because they're still in this habitual sin. And the problem is that they don't realize that God will wait through eternity for you. The prodigal son came home, but the, but the, but the self-righteous son stayed outside the party. And you know how long the father stayed outside the party? That's how that story ends, you know, with the father standing outside the party with the son that refused to go in. God is patient with you. He is patient with you. And how liberating, how free is that to know that, that God is not out to get you? There isn't a time limit with God. He's, he's not looking, waiting. There isn't so many days. Okay, I gave you this many chances. Now I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. No, God is patient. Charity suffers long for you. Now am I saying, woohoo! God is going to be patient with me. So I just continue to live in destruction. No, why would you? You don't want to live that way. But isn't it so much more liberating to know that you have a God that's going to stand outside in your sin with you? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And even when Satan comes to rob, kill, and destroy, he will be there to restore you. Sin will destroy you. But it's not God. God is long-suffering. He's long-suffering. He's patient. The Greek word for suffereth long, you can pronounce it for yourself, comes from the combination of two words. Makaros, I don't know, M-A-K-R-O-S, and themos, T-H-U-M-O-S. 
Markeros means long, and themos means temper. Long-suffering is equal. Long-suffering is the quality of bearing with and being long-tempered. It is the nature of being self-restrained in the face of being provoked, the opposite of anger, and associated with mercy. It is a description of God's love and a manifestation of his spirit. God suffers long. God allows us to learn from him at our own rate. Do you realize that? Some of you take longer to learn than others. Some of you can learn from the word. Some of you can learn from what we're taught here at at Karis. But some of us learn from the life of hard knocks, don't we? And God will bear with you. He will suffer long with you no matter how you learn, no, how, no matter how long it takes you to know his truth. So many struggle with ungodly habits, are in fear that God's going to, of fear of what God's going to do to them and give up on them. Think about something. Think about the Old Testament. Think about Adam and Eve. Their sons the, old, the oldest kills the youngest. And God shows up so strange and protects Cain. He shows up and says, what have you done? See, I, I, was, taught, I was taught that he showed up, what have you done? You know, thunderbolts, lightning, that he was mad. But I, after seeing the characteristics of love, I don't think that's the way it was at all. I think he showed up, what, what have you done? Your brother's blood crieth out. He couldn't believe what man had done to each other. And we see mercy. We see grace, don't we? We see him long-suffering with man and humanity. All the way up to Noah. He waited until there was only eight people left. Until he did something to save the eight. That's amazing to think about. Of the whole world, he waited till there was only eight left. That's long suffering. That is patience. Sodom and Gomorrah. He allows Abram to intercede. For them. And he gets down to if there's only 10 out of a whole city, if there's only 10 righteous people, will you save the city? And God says, I'll save the city for 10. And what happens? There wasn't even 10 in there, there was Lot, his daughters. And they were so screwed up. Well, I'm not going to tell that. You know that story, don't you? They were. <laughs> And his wife turned around and turned into a pillar of salt. God is long-suffering. He is patient. Look at what 1 Peter says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the repentance. See, we, we, we're thinking, you get to a place where you're thinking, why doesn't God, when's Jesus coming back? 
Because we're not long-suffering. We don't see that there's millions of people that still need to know the love of God. We're focusing on when Jesus is coming back. And I'm excited as anybody. And we're living in some crazy times right now. I mean, the Bible is just coming alive on the, on the news channel. Well, I want a heart like God that, that is concerned about those that have, don't know the love of God, that are still living in their own hell now, that needs to be rescued from the snare of, of, of Satan now. This is the love of God. The reason why he waits so long is because if he didn't, you would never showed up. How many is glad that he's at least 2,000 years long-suffering? Amen. Amen. But this is a characteristic, characteristic of God. That's a characteristic of God. God is long-suffering. He said, yeah, but Chad, but what about, what about all that stuff where he, he, he just wiped out people and killed people? You've got to realize it. That was the law. The law is unbending. The law is not merciful. The law is not loving. The law is not long-suffering. When you stay, and that's why it's so dangerous to stack yourself up against the law. The law will kill you. The law will kill you. But God demonstrates his love for us by sending his own son so that we can receive his patience, his kindness, his goodness. Charity suffers long and is kind. Do you know the God of kindness? Do you know a guy that's really kind? Have you ever experienced someone that's kind? I mean, a kind person. Do you see God in that? God is kind. These are, these are things I've never heard about God, but then I got in the Bible and it's all over in there. God is kind. Love, God, is kind. Psalm 30, 36, 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. You know, if you know that God is kind, it's easy to trust him with your life, isn't it? Psalms forty eleven. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. How many of you see yourself preserved by the loving kindness of God? This is, this is David. This is the Old Testament. David seems to know God better than we know him today in the church. I never hear about God being kind. Kind-hearted. Let your loving kindness. Who, who prays like that? When's the last time you asked God, do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord? We need a revelation of God. We pray more like, God, please do not judge me for this. God, give me your mercy. Sixty-three, three Psalms. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So this is, to me, is saying that if we have a hard time praising God, it's because we don't know his kindness. 
We don't know the God of kindness. Psalms 103.4, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Do you see God crowning you? That's, that, it's almost like anointing, putting it on your head and just letting his loving kindness and tender mercies cover you. This is, we, we need a revelation of the love of God. Jonah, this is us right here. You guys know Jonah, right? Jonah and the, and the big fish, right? Nineveh. Jonah, God, Nineveh was an evil city. And God, because of his loving kindness, his tender mercies, his long suffering, wanted to rescue Nineveh. Wanted to rescue Nineveh. And Jonah was a prophet of God. And God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to them. And what did Jonah do? He got in a boat and went the other direction. Then there was a storm, the fish, all that stuff, okay? And the reason why, the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he hated the people of Nineveh. Almost as bad as the church hates people that don't go to church. Jonah hated Nineveh. He hated the people of Nineveh, and he knew God, and he knew that if he went there and, and, and spoke in the power of God, that they would turn from their evil ways, and God would spare them. And maybe that's why we don't talk about God's kindness. Maybe that's why we don't talk about the love of God in church. Maybe that's why we don't express the love of God, because if we, we know that if we expressed, we preached, we proclaimed God's kindness and demonstrated God's kindness and his love, in, love for people that they couldn't stand it. They would have to come running to God. But we like our own little groups, don't we? We, we like us and them. We don't really want them to come to our party. We're too much like Jonah. And look what happens. God finally gets Jonah to where he's supposed to be. Jonah preaches, and in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, So Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord. This is how I think he said it. Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. See, Jonah was upset because God did exactly what he thought he was going to do. He saved the people of Nineveh. We might not be kind, but God is kind. And God has loving kindness for you. Tender mercies for you. God is on your side. Titus 3, 3 through 5. For we ourselves were also once foolish. Anybody? That's me. Disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That doesn't sound very kind, does it? But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
But according to his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of regeneration, through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. See, there was a time we weren't kind. But when we experience the kindness of God in our own lives, we now have been renewed and the regeneration, regenerated by the Spirit of God. God's kindness is in us. And if we can renew our minds to the Spirit of God that's in us, we have that kindness of God in us. We don't have to be like that up there. And there's, there's some of us, there's some days I act like that up there. Because I'm operating in the ways of the world instead of walking in the Spirit of God. What I'm saying to you is that now that you have a revelation, when you have a revelation of the kindness of God, now it can be manifest in your own life. Not through the works, not through things that you do, not through persevering. I'm going to be kind to this person if it kills me. No, by a fruit, a fruit of the Spirit. It's supernatural. This is supernatural living. Miracles are not just Blind seen, deaf ears open, dead raised, $1,000 checks in the mail. Those aren't just miracles. A miracle is that we can be kind. We can be kind to people. Why? Because we have received the kindness from God. We have received the kindness of God. Psalms 143.8 calls me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you do I trust. Calls me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. How are we supposed to carry out our day? How are we supposed to walk? How are we supposed to treat to other people? The only way we can know it is first knowing God's loving kindness for us. And he will cause us to walk in his ways. Amen. Well, we got through two. Next week, we'll look at charity and envieth not. I didn't think we'd get through them all. Amen. Isn't it good to know the kindness of God, to know the long-suffering long and patience of God that he has for you, to know the characteristics of who God is? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are love. <laughs> and when we understand who you are and how much you love us, we, we cannot help but to love you back. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the revelation of the, the love of the Father, the love of you, the love of the Son, the Trinity, that God was in Christ reconciling, reconciling the world unto himself bringing us home. And you have given us the job of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ, to let other, other people know that the war is over, God's not mad at them, that he loves them, that he's patient with them, and he wants to bestow his loving kindness upon them and give them their, his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and
destined to reign in Christ Jesus.